welcome a marvelous woman. Come on, come on, let's welcome Heather. Yeah, we just bless Heather today. Thank you for the passion and the gift which you've put within her heart. And we just say, uh, let it be stirred today. Let it be stirred and let your anointing come upon her as she speaks to us and just brings, opens up your word to us. And let captives be set free. Oh, uh, Holy Spirit, just come and meet with us as, as we uh, listen and receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> well, welcome. If you're here for the first time, um, I'm married to Phil. Uh, I've known the Lord about 40 years. <laughs> but towards the end of last year, Phil and I had an encounter with God, which um, was so amazing and has really radically shaken me up to bring me to a point of really realizing that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I, even though I've been reading the Bible for 40 years and going to church and being a good girl, I need my mind renewing in order to enter the kingdom. And this is the reason why this year, We've chosen, together with the agreement of all the leaders of the church, to make a big focus on developing a kingdom culture amongst us, getting a renewed mind. Because we realize that it's possible to have prayed the prayer, given your life to the Lord, been filled with the Spirit, got involved with the things of God, be giving your money, doing all of those things, and yet not be fully laying hold of all that he is and he has for us and have a relatively fruitless life. But the good news is, since that encounter in November last year, he's been pouring hope, pouring encouragement, pouring resources into us. And since that point of aligning with his truth, we've begun to see things change. So much so, here's a little example. Friday night, we had Community Blessings. It's a connect event. It's a very quiet, it's a very peaceful, prayerful gathering. All right, it, it has a bit of liturgy in it. But at that gathering on Friday night, a man got overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. He got a word of knowledge in the car coming over. He got a pain that he knew was not his. And he, he got really quite overwhelmed with the possibility that this could be the Lord showing him something that he wanted to heal. And he said to God, if, if it is a word of knowledge, will you take that pain away? And it went. He thought, oh no, I'm going to have to do something about it now. And eventually, at the end, he took the courage to describe the, the pain, it, describe his experience. A number of people had got that pain, that difficulty, that problem. And one of those ladies got better. 
got better. And it was easy. It was easy. This is the sign of springtime. This is the sign of what God's doing. Now, at the beginning of this year, um, the Lord set a particular scripture in my mind, which I'm hoping maybe Bryony can bring up. It's the first one on that list from Isaiah. And we sung it this morning, too. Um, no, the ones before that, eight and nine, eight and nine, not ten and eleven. It is good. We'll come back to that, actually, funnily enough. <laughs> Here we are. This is what the Lord said to me at the beginning of the year. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher, higher, think higher (laughs) than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he began to bring a realization to me that I am not okay. My ways are too low, and my thoughts are too low. And to enter the kingdom, I need a big readjustment to fully enter it, to fully experience it, to fully pass it on. I need a radical adjustment up to his higher ways and his higher thoughts. And um, so... What I'd like to share with you this morning, really, is the journey that he's been bringing me on over this month in terms of really grasping the goodness of God. All right. So this month, you'll have noticed all our talks, all our different things have been on this basic theme that God is good. And you might think, well... If we were to interview everybody here in the room today, the majority, if not all, would probably say, oh, yeah, God's good. I believe that. So why are we spending a whole month bashing on about it, sharing testimonies of his goodness, speaking out his goodness and so on? Because there's a discrepancy between what we know in our heads and would agree with and give mental assent to And what is really experienced and lived out and demonstrated by us. Because I'm convinced that if you and I fully grasped his goodness, who he is, in all his glory, things would look a lot different around here. They'd look a lot different. Our neighbours would be a lot happier. (laughs) Our friends would be healed. Our schools would be more peaceful. You know, can you picture what it would look like? Because we can only give away what we really believe we own. And if you and I are not totally convinced through and through of his goodness, we don't demonstrate that in our lives we might say the right things but our lives aren't necessarily demonstrating it okay now i've gone off piste already so i'm gonna have to try and (laughs) get myself back on track here phil do you think you could do a lifting up thing here to right and then i might be able to focus on the words (laughs) that'd be good 
I clearly still need my eyes healed, don't I? And I am over 50. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that'll be fine now, thanks. That's good. Okay. So. Ah, yeah. So what is the hindrance? What gets in the way then? And over this month, the Lord showed me two particular things. Um, as I've read the Gospel of Luke, a lot of the stuff today will come out of the Gospel of Luke. And as I've been reading this month's recommended reading, which I'll do a quick plug for now, this book, Release the Power of Jesus, has got a lot of this good stuff in, and he teaches it way better than probably I will. So I recommend this book to you. You can get it off Amazon by Bill Johnson, Release the Power of Jesus. Okay. So the two things that um, the Lord's been showing me that can be hindrances to us really grasping and demonstrating the goodness of God is one, because, especially if we've known the Lord for a while, we can have developed a bit of old wineskin thinking. Old wineskin thinking. Done that, been there, I think I know how this goes. Thinking. Or got a bit dried up, a bit toughened, and so on. And... In his grace today, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to move amongst us, not to condemn us, but to help us be renewed in our thinking. Perhaps we get a bit muddled because when we read the Bible, we haven't fully grasped that from the moment Jesus came, a whole shift has begun. A whole shift has been inaugurated in the way God relates with us, us humans, and how he wants to work with us. And we read stuff from the old covenant, which is still good stuff, don't get me wrong, but it can be a bit legalistic, it can be a bit judgmental, it can be hard and harsh, and we take that on thinking that maybe that's the way God wants to relate to us today and haven't fully appreciated the shift that the new covenant, that the cross has brought into our whole relating with God. Or the other thing that can hinder us is because of the damage done to our hearts by major disappointments in our life somewhere along the line. So we know in our head that God's good because the word says so. <laughs> but in our hearts, he hasn't always turned up in the way that we might have hoped. And so we're not thoroughly convinced inside. And Avril shared a little bit about this last, last time, I think it was, which was excellent. So those are the two things that we're going to look at today. Old wineskin thinking and the damage done to our hearts. So why is it so important then that we truly believe that he is a good God? Well, a few reasons came to mind. One is 
Because if we've got any doubt in our hearts that he's totally and utterly, thoroughly trustworthy, good and lovely, we will never be able to live in abandoned faith to him. He said, you need to give up everything and follow me. I won't give up everything for somebody I don't really think is totally good. I can't throw myself upon him if I'm not totally convinced. And why else is it so important? Because we can't carry out the Great Commission if we haven't laid hold of the inheritance for ourselves. We won't spend on others what we haven't fully taken hold of for ourselves. You can't give somebody else what you haven't got. So that's why it's so important that we become convinced of the goodness so we can lay hold fully of the inheritance. And the third reason, perhaps you'd like to look this up in your Bibles, is found in Luke 19. The story of the ten minus, Luke 19. Okay, so here's a parable Jesus told. It begins, ooh, he starts the parable about verse 11, but we won't read it through. It's one of those ones where um, the king gives out 10 minus to one servant, a smaller amount to the second, and only one to the third. Do you know that parable? All right. And he says, this is what the kingdom's like. Okay. And the one that only got one minor, let's look at what he did with it and what he said. Take up from verse 20. The one who only had one minor came and said, Sir, here is your minor. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. What's his image of God like? Hard. He's a hard man. He had a, he got a mindset that God was harsh. And that hindered him. The others thought of him in a different way and they had boldness and freedom to put the miners to work, the money, the talents to work. They had a freedom to do that because they knew that if it all went pear-shaped, that master would come along and say, well done for giving it a go. I'm proud you tried. Get up. This is what our God's like, isn't he? Get up. I'll dust you off. We'll go again. I'll give you another chance. But if we have a mindset that thinks that he would be judgmental of us, if we fail, had your chance, muffed it. <laughs> That's old wineskin thinking. If we think that way, then we'll be hindered in using what God has given us. And so this is the reason why it's so important that each one of us is truly convinced that he's totally good, totally for us, 
totally loving, totally merciful, totally forgiving, utterly and completely, it will set us free to take some risks. We will put to work what God has given us and we won't just bury it and sit on it. Say, oh God, save me back in such and such a time. And that was that. And then that's all you've got to show for it. But when we really know who he is, what he's done in our lives, we know we can start to give it away. We can start to put it to work. We can start to take the risk of praying for our neighbor. We can start to sow generously. We can start to do all of those things because we know we're safe with a father, a master, who wants to bless it so much he will come through and so on. All right? So, thank you for bearing with me well here. That's why it's so important that we truly believe he's a good God. Okay, so let's look at how we could start to overcome hindrances in our lives. If we start with the old wineskin thinking, okay? Um, find the passage. Let's see. I'm going to find that passage where Jesus teaches that from the time. Ah, yeah, here we go. Luke 16. Can you turn to Luke 16? Verse 16. Jesus stood up one day and said this. The law and the prophets, all the Old Covenant stuff, all the Old Testament stuff, everything that's revealed about God through the Old Testament, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist came. He's giving us a history lesson. All right. That's the way it all happened until John came. John is the marker of a new era since that time now we're in since that time aren't we since that time the good news good (laughs) good news of the kingdom of god is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it before that time the word was for the people of god wasn't it for the jews tough for everybody else, etc. All right? Yes, they were supposed to be a light for the rest of the world, and God had a plan of mercy still for other nations. But from the time of John right up till now, we're in the era of good news from a good God, that the kingdom of God has come, and everyone... Everyone, 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 not just the household of God, everyone can get into it. But it does say forcing his way. Or in other, in other versions it says violent men lay hold of it. People who have a bit of get up and go and determination. That's new wineskin thinking. To say 
if it's possible, I'm going for it. It's old wineskin thinking. Well, if God wanted that to do, he he knows where I am. He'll find me. Passive thinking. Let's make sure we haven't got any old wineskin thinking in our heads. Lord, make sure I don't have any old wineskin thinking in me that makes me passive instead of forcing my way in to get hold of the good things of God. Okay. Because it's really clear from what Jesus said that it is new wineskins that best lay hold of the kingdom. If you look at Matthew 9, verse 16, this is where he declares it. I'll read it out to you. Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus was looking in those days for new wineskins. But you think it's interesting that he didn't choose the teachers of the law or the Pharisees or the Sadducees to be his disciples. They knew they, they were good religious men, but he, he found a fresh, new, malleable vessel that he could transform, that could be flexible enough to take the radical nature of the new wine. And he's looking for those new wineskins today. He's looking for those new wineskins today in this place and in our community. Some of them are in this place and many are outside of the lighthouse. When I was walking um, in the forest the other day, I believe I heard the Lord speak to me as clear as a bell. One sentence he said, he said, bring me the new wineskins. Bring me the new wineskins. We'll see the new wine being poured out when we present new wineskins. I can be a new wineskin. My neighbor can be a new wineskin. It's new wineskins that receive the new wine of the kingdom and can demonstrate the new wine of the kingdom. All right. And this is where he's doing this radical shake up in me where it's made me feel really quite um, can't think of the word. Shaken. When Phil and I were in Bethel in an environment of the new wine completely flowing so powerfully all around with testimony after testimony of what God was doing, people getting healed in the bathroom and in queues and in coffee breaks and so on, it did my head in. I realized I'd got some tough old wineskin thinking still going on in me. And it's made me want to repent 
and say, shake me up. Don't let my way of thinking get in the way. Don't let my way of doing things get in the way. I really believe God wants to move powerfully this year here. The problem is not at his end. It might be in my ways and my thoughts that I need to bring to him to soften, to make malleable, to make me flexible with time, make me flexible with my diary, make me flexible in where I will go and what I will do and how I will give and who I will speak to. Because his ways are not my ways. If I was fully flowing in the ways of God, there'd be a whole lot more fruit than there is at the moment. I thank God for the fruit there is, but I know there'd be a whole lot more. Phil would be having to hold back the testimonies here on Sunday. You would have to get here an hour early to get a seat. If we were fully operating in his ways and in his thoughts, if not better than that, (laughs) you see what I mean. (laughs) Okay. You see, because old wineskin thinking cannot respond to the opportunities of the kingdom that are being presented to us now. Let me show an example of this. The Lord showed me this in Luke. You know, I said I was reading through Luke at the moment. Here we go. Luke 16, 31. Could you get to that bit? Luke 16, 31. And we're going to look at a, a verse or two in Luke 16 and then over into the next chapter. In Towards the end of Luke 16, Jesus is talking to the religious people of the day, the Jews. And he's told them the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a really quite shocking story. And if we go right to the end of the the chapter, the story finishes with this. No, Father Abraham, he said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If a supernatural breakthrough happened, like a resurrection of the dead, then they definitely repent, was the claim of the religious people of the day. But Jesus said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead, because they've developed old wineskin thinking. Flick over to the next chapter, And Jesus is walking along his way to Jerusalem, chapter 17, verse 11 onwards. And he comes across ten lepers. But what's interesting is where they're from, all right? Verse 11, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So if you're walking along the border of Samaria and Galilee, what background of people are you likely to meet? Mix, Galileans, Jews, Samaritans are supposed to be outside 
of what God's doing, all right? And he comes across the ten lepers. Just wanted to set that in place because there's a possibility then that out of the ten, some may be of the household of God and some may be from Samaria, okay? So, as we know, Jesus has pity on them. He says to those lepers, go show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed. So they all got a healing breakthrough because they encountered Jesus. But then one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. That one got hold of some joy, got hold of some breakthrough, came back praising God, got into kingdom stuff. Praising God with a loud voice is fairly kingdom-like, isn't it? Okay. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. What an amazing picture. And he was a Samaritan, a new wineskin. Can you see that you can be exposed to the kingdom? We this year could be exposed to the things of the kingdom. But if we don't have a new wineskin mindset, we could miss a whole lot of the joy and the power and the connection and the relationship and the fun (laughs) and the power of it. Because it's new wineskins that best lay hold of the kingdom. Let's look at the second hindrance then. Doing all right for time, I think. Proverbs 13, very well-known verse. Some of you can probably predict what it is before we even get to it. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Remember I said not only can old wineskin thinking hinder us from really experiencing the goodness of God, hope deferred can hinder us from accessing his now blessing for us. Verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, there isn't a person in this room today who's not been affected by a deep disappointment at some point in your life where hope has either been dashed or put off. All right? And what it does to us, if left unhealed, is it starts to make our heart sick. Now, why is that a problem? Because it's not with our, uh, only our belief system, God is good. It's with our heart that we access the goodness of God. And if our heart has been defiled, made sick, diseased by a deep disappointment, a deep hope being dashed, and it's not being kissed better by God, then 
it can mean that all these testimonies start being shared, all these breakthroughs start being shared, and my heart response is, well, he didn't do that for me, did he? He didn't do that for my loved one, did he? And we don't mean to be building a case against God, but in our heart, we are. And in his mercy, one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do with us today and going forward is start to help us to get free of those wounds that would hinder us accessing all that his goodness has for us and that would hinder us expressing all that his goodness has for us. So what can we do about it? Here we go on some practical points now. We're in the final straight, you might like to know. Okay. So what can we do about it? Because every single one of us, as I said, will have had an experience because we're in a fallen world, we're in a war zone, bad stuff happens. There won't be a person here who's not in one way or another had at least one really deeply disappointing experience in our lives. And how can we make sure that doesn't uh, limit our accessing everything that God wants to bring to us? We can implement some of these steps. Number one, go to him, don't run from him. That's the first decision. Don't withdraw. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop meeting with other believers. Get alone with him. He is the one who will heal me and heal you. Yes, sometimes we can get help through counselling and all sorts of different things like that. I am not ruling that out. But there's an awful lot that we can do with some honest face-to-face time with God on our own. We go to him first. Take time with the Lord. Perhaps get into Psalms. And the reason I say read the Psalms is David was really honest with God. And he had a lot of troubles in his life. And many of them are similar to the ones we experience. And as you start to read Psalms, read it until you get to a point where he is saying something that is your cry. That's your voice. And meditate on that because locked in there, somewhere around there, will also be a key for recovery because David did not let his persecution, his disappointments, his defeat stop him reaching his destiny, did he? So he's got some secrets hidden away in there that can help us. So go to him, get into Psalms, and then be honest with God. The trouble with us Christians sometimes is we know it's not good to accuse God, so we just kind of bury it. We're a bit polite about the fact that we've been deeply hurt, and we think... We've perhaps been let down by God. Well, 
God deals with us when we are straight and honest and not when we put a brave face on things. He can only deal with honesty. There's a big difference between coming to God and saying, God, back there, it felt to me, it seemed to me like you let me down. Than saying, you let me down, God. That's an accusation. But saying, God, the way it looked where I was standing is that you didn't come through for me. Can you see the difference? And so he wants us to be real, but we can do it without becoming an accuser like the enemy. Careful what side we step over there. (laughs) Okay. So we can say that to him. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and sin not. Be real with what you really feel. Don't let it tip into a sin of accusing God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, quite a lot of time we use that about our own relationships with one another, don't we? But do we apply that to our relationship with God? And say, I'm not going to go to sleep feeling the way I feel now, abandoned by God, let down, disappointed, unpeaceful, raging inside, unhappy. Make peace with God before we go to sleep. And one of the ways we can do that is to say, I don't think it seemed fair. I feel really unhappy with the way this has worked out. But I don't need to understand everything. What I do need is your peace and your presence. I can't live without your peace and your presence. And if you choose to show me, bring me understanding at some point, that's up to you, God. I can live with the mystery because I know you're a good God and not demand to understand right here, right now. That decision can open the door to grace to come in and keep us connected with the goodness of God, which is our hope for recovery, which is our fountain of life. Okay. So I've said, go to him. Don't accuse him. Make sure the enemy doesn't have anything in you. Remember, Jesus said, he has nothing in me. Don't give the enemy territory in your heart by keeping a record of wrongs about God. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So choose not to meditate on the disappointment and demand to know why. By being okay with not having to understand and willing to live with the mystery, we can starve off the angry dog. (laughs) What you feed grows, what you starve dies. When we meditate over and over and over, those things where we feel God's let us down and we don't understand, then we feed that 
angry dog in our hearts. Here's, here's a more positive one now. <laughs> Got to finish on something positive. Remember. Isn't it weird when everything really crashes down in crisis? We might have a five-year history with God, a 10-year history, a 40-year history of God, of him coming through in all sorts of ways and answering our prayers and being our helper and our friend. But when the crisis comes, we can't remember one of them. (laughs) The circumstances seem to shout louder than all of those things. And so to develop a habit of remembering what God has done for us in the past is really, really important. Keep a record. Maybe write it down in a journal. Put some pictures up. Um, do something visual that records. That was the first £10 note that came to me supernaturally. <laughs> or whatever. And put it up in a, in, a, in a picture. In a picture frame or something like that. Remember. Because out, oh, this is a good quote from this book. Now I'm quoting from Bill. This is not mine, this is his. Our capacity to remember what God has said and done in our lives and throughout history, the testimony, that is, is one of the primary things that determine our success or failure. It's one of the primary things that determines our success or failure in sustaining a kingdom culture. I'll say it one more time. Our capacity to remember what God has said and done in our lives and throughout history, that's the testimony, is one of the primary things that determines our success or failure in sustaining a kingdom culture. So, remember what he's done for you before, what he's done for your friend, your father, your child, somebody that you've heard at church, remember the goodness. Focus on the goodness of God in the middle of trouble. Because as we remember and we speak those things out, they carry with them a power and a potential for reproduction, for turning around the situation. By speaking the testimony, that's why the children of Israel were required to get the ten stones out of the river when they had the big breakthrough coming over from the desert into the promised land and to set it up as a testimony so that when their children saw it, they would say, what's that there for? And they'd have to say it again and they would remember their God is a God of the breakthrough. Their God is a God of provider. Their God is the one who's faithful, who does what he says he will do. Okay? And lastly, choose to believe that the point at which you have suffered the greatest loss, defeat, disgrace or pain, hidden in that circumstance is the seed of divine invitation for your greatest future victory. Hidden in that dark day, God put a seed, an invitation for you to choose to believe.
to declare, yet will I praise the Lord. He is still good. And when we make that choice, we qualify ourselves. We line ourselves up. We set ourselves on a course for future victory. I heard the most amazing testimony, again from Bill Johnson. I don't apologize for that. In their early days of church leadership, they had a tragic situation of a stillbirth. Now, this uh, pregnancy had come as a result of promise, and the whole fellowship was eagerly anticipating this birth to celebrate together. And this tragedy took place. And the baby died even though they'd really believed, they'd really prayed, they'd done everything they knew to do, all right? That could have either been the end if they'd chosen to say, well, God didn't keep his word. Or instead what they did was they got the promises, they got the testimonies of what he'd done before. They laid them out on cards on the stage and they marched up and down and they said, this is who you are. We still declare this. This is who you are. This is who you are. Two or three years later, they were faced with a similar situation, two different stillbirth situations. And one, the grandma who'd been there present at the, the first seeming defeat laid her hands on that baby and it came back to life in the maternity room. They had two similar ones like that. Now, hidden in the first disappointment, I'm not saying God sends these tragedies, but he finds a way to bring blessing out of the curse. Hidden in there is a potential for your great victorious destiny. If we can make a choice to respond right and let him heal our hearts to say, I don't have to understand all the whys, but I will trust you and I need your peace. We'll celebrate his goodness in the very area that we are currently being challenged. So today, if you don't have enough money coming into your home, I challenge you to celebrate his goodness as a provider. Remember testimonies that other people have told or that you've got in your own life and to declare it. Be aggressive about it. Forceful men lay hold of it. Rise up and say this circumstance has to change because this is the higher truth. Similar things, whatever the situation is in your life, where you're facing a challenge now, Make a decision to celebrate the goodness of God in that area. Aggressively, intentionally, loudly. Make declarations every day. Go after it. Because God's setting you up for victory, not for failure. He's setting you up for victory because he thinks you can do it. You can press in and lay hold of the kingdom. Amen.